what I'm doing tonight is uh, putting sort of a quick ending on this age of accountability study. It, it kind of has morphed more into a, um, you know, what you need to know to be saved study uh, than so much of a focus on uh, the, the children and the age accountability, younger people and things like that. Uh, we started there and we had lots of specific questions that, that we could have covered, uh, but you know, this is the critical main information anyway, so uh, let's just, let's cover it and tonight uh, we can be pretty thorough um, in covering what really needs to be covered here, okay? So uh, tonight the question, is um, if you want to click that one more time for me. Uh, the question is, who can be baptized? Uh, or uh, it might be phrased as, what must a person know to be baptized? That's, um, that's kind of what's meant by that. You know, who can be baptized? Well, what they mean is not like, everybody knows it's not like, oh, well, you deserve to and you don't. Or some, some certain type of person is the person that can be baptized. It's not the type or the background or anything like that. It's what they know. So the, the questions are sort of meaning, getting at the same thing, right? Now, I would, you can see that paragraph uh, underneath of those two questions on your sheet. I would probably actually kind of, I don't want to, sidestep isn't the right. I would redefine the question and say what would be a, a right question is to ask who can be saved. Rather than focusing on the, the baptism issue right offhand, I would say who can be saved or what must a person know to be saved? Because nobody should be baptized with that understanding that um, this is a salvation event. You know, you're being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to get into Christ. You know, these things without knowing those things, without having an understanding of the gospel, without having an understanding of what a, a right response to the gospel looks like. And so really um, the question that we're going to answer tonight is who can be saved? What must a person know to be saved? Because everything needs to be known up to baptism before you should be Baptized. Now that doesn't mean it has to take, you know, uh, a three-month special class or anything. It's not that at all. Um, this can happen relatively quickly in some cases. Uh, other times it needs to be sat down and there needs to be uh, discussion. And so, um, again, this is just as applicable to younger people who are asking to be baptized as it is to anyone of any age, any, any background or anything you want to add to it. So um, the way I would simplify uh, this needed knowledge, <laughs> what needs to be known is, is kind of four things. Who Jesus is, what he's done and why. Those are hard to disconnect. You know, what he did, well, you need to cover why he did it right there, right then and there. How to get in on it and then what it will cost, all right? Uh, you've probably seen a lot of this. Uh, you longtime Liberty folks have probably seen a lot of this, uh, knowing who Jesus is, what he's done and why, how to get in on it, and what it will cost. First uh, John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what I want to hone in on what that statement is telling us, there, there's some other things, but what it, what it says very plainly is that we can know that we have eternal life. The Bible, in case you ever wondered, is it like... Um, Will I never know? I mean, will I, will I never know until I get to heaven? Or I mean, until I, uh, until I die or the Lord returns and he, he says whether I'm going or not. Will I never know for sure? Because there's so many teachings out there and there's, there's so much uh, division and confusion. And, uh, or maybe it's not even the division and the confusion. Maybe God just didn't intend for us to know. And he wanted us to find and hope. And then we'll find out in the end if we met the criteria, what he was looking for or not. That's not it. 
If that's ever concerned you, bothered you, kept you up at night, that's not the way it is. The Bible says that things have been written so that we may know. There's a way to know for sure that you are in a right relationship with Christ that, that is going to cause you to inherit eternal life when the time comes, all right? So, uh, what things have been written? Well, there's things that have been written about all of these four uh, main topics that I said a person needs to know. Uh, at least in a basic sense, they need to know who Jesus is, what he's done, and why, how to get in on it, and what it will cost. Now, uh, before I go too much further, I want to make sure, I, I meant to say this earlier, I should say this now before I move on and forget. Um, we're going to cover a lot of different scriptures. You can see, just flipping the pages real quick, you can see it's just scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Obviously, we can look at the Bible, and I know we don't have every detail of every event. There's, there's certain things that might have been said or done or time that elapsed that we don't get in the Bible. Uh, but more than likely, many of the instances we look at in Scripture where people are saved, it doesn't appear that they sat down with them in every instance and spent a ton of time. Now, there's a lot of times where those people maybe already did do some study. They already did do some soul searching and some scripture reading, and they had some background knowledge, and additional information was given, and that was what they needed to, to learn how to be saved and what they needed to do to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and to understand salvation. So what I'm not saying, please tonight don't walk away and say, well, Jake thinks you got to go through, you know, 27 scriptures before a person can be saved. What about Acts chapter 2, verse 37, 38? One sermon and those people were saved. Well, there was background knowledge for a lot of those folks. There, there was an understanding uh, that caused them to be convicted in that moment. So there's usually more to it than we think. But I will say, it doesn't mean that all these scriptures, I'm not up here saying all these scriptures have to be covered and understood by a person. What they need to know, what they need to have an understanding of, maybe in a basic sense, maybe in a real thorough sense, that'd be great, <laughs> but it's not, not always going to be that way, is a knowledge of who Jesus is, what he's done and why, how to get in on it, and what it will cost. Those four things, they, they've got to understand those things. A lot of them will overlap. You, you'll see like, oh, well, if you cover that scripture, you know, it, it talks about, it calls Jesus the Christ and Savior. Uh, it, it refers to him uh, as divine, and it says it's by his blood that we're saved. That covers a ton of these things in one scripture. So some of this stuff can come together fast. We're going to be a little thorough tonight. Uh, we won't take too long doing it, but we're just going to cover a lot of scriptures. Again, all that to say, don't think that I'm saying all this has to be covered with the person. Those four things, to, in, to some degree, do. People need to understand the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done, why, how to get it on it, what it'll cost. So what, things, what kind of things have been written so that we can know that we have eternal life? Well, John 8, 24, uh, Jesus said, I, I, he said, I said to you that you'll die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Sin. So unless we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, which we'll cover a lot of that, but that he's, he's God in the flesh, that he's the Savior, he's the Christ, the Messiah that was sent, all the things that he is, unless you believe that I am he, that Christ, that Messiah, God in the flesh, you'll die in your sins. Now, is that important? I mean, if you die in your sins, it's kind of case closed. No more opportunity uh, to, to make wrongs right and to get in on any of this. So a person needs to understand that. So we don't want to die in our sins. So we need to understand and believe in who he is. So this gets us to our first uh, big point. 
who Jesus is, talking about who Jesus is. We need to know, because that's a life and death statement, right? You'll die in your sins if you don't believe that I am he. Well, we better understand who he is, okay? So who Jesus is. Matthew 16, 16, there on your sheet, uh, Simon Peter answered when Jesus had asked, who do uh, men say that I am? And they, all the different disciples had their, um, their, uh, their input on that. Uh, Simon Peter answered, and he said, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So the son of the living God. People need to understand that he's, that he's God's son. That's foundational, right? Jesus would go on to say in verse 18 of this passage, it's not on your sheet, but you know, a couple verses later, he says, upon this rock, okay, that foundational statement, that, that truth that he's the son of the living God, upon that rock, he said, I will build my church. So it's foundational literally foundational to the church. That is the foundation of the church, that he is a son of the living God. So people don't need to be understanding him as something else, right? And there's, there's groups out there, there's cults out there who masquerade as, as Christianity, but they're not, who will say that Jesus is something other than the son of God, right? You, you've heard it more than likely. Uh, if you haven't, uh, get with me afterwards. We don't have time to get into a bunch of side study on that. But son of God, right? Uh, it's all over the scriptures, but that's a basic principle that people need to understand and that he's the son of the living God. They need to have a right understanding of God, that he is not some, um, some supreme being who, who started the, the world, created uh, all that's on the earth and in the earth and above the earth and sent it into rotation. You've heard and hands off now and he's just kind of letting things go around. He's, he's gone, you know. No, God's not dead and he's surely alive, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's living God. He's the son of the living God. God's living. He's active. He's, he's uh, involved, okay? So they need to have that understanding. Then uh, look at John 1, verse 1, and it's very much connected to the second, uh, or the third uh, scripture that's right after that, John 1, 14. Let's put these together. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if we were to go on through those verses that come after that, we would see that the beginning, in the beginning was the word, is referring to creation. So he's eternal, right? Uh, it goes on to say that nothing was made without him. He was involved. Through him, all these things were made. Colossians 1 talks about it as well. But John 1, 1 talks about that also, that he was there in the beginning with God, right? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So whatever or whoever this word is, is God, Okay, As some, in some form or fashion is God. Now look at verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh. So this word, what or who it is, became flesh. It says, and dwelt among us. So tabernacled is, is the literal word there. Uh, pitched a tent among us, uh, like ours. Became flesh, so that's the tent, that's the dwelling. Dwelt among us, and we saw his, so it's a person, his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, so it's the Son of God, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to earth lived here among us. So that's another foundational truth, that the word became flesh. They need to understand that God uh, sent his son. This is his son, the son of the living God. We covered that. And he came in the flesh to this earth for us. Colossians 2.9 says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now I know, I feel like we've, we just went through this not that long ago, right? Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna talk about for just one second again, all the fullness Every bit. Now, 
I'm not asking you to understand this completely like it makes perfect sense to you because it doesn't make perfect sense to me. But God is not 50% man, or Jesus was not 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% God and 100% man. Okay, that's called unique. We we don't serve a God that, that we fully understand. If we fully understood every bit of him and how everything he does works perfectly, Everything we need to know, we can know, and do, we are able to know that. But if we understood everything about him, and understood why he made, like we were a step ahead of him, and we understood, ah, yep, I knew God would do that, because, well, I guess we would be God, or he wouldn't be God, and worth worshiping, right? So here's the thing we just need to understand. It says, the scripture says, which we can trust, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So that word that became flesh, so in the form of a man, bodily form, dwelt all the fullness. Not 50%, not 75%, all the fullness of God. He was completely God, completely man. And then Hebrews 1.8 is interesting because uh, this, is, this is where God uh, the Father says of God the Son that he's God. He refers to his son as God. It says there in Hebrews 1.8, but of the son, he says. So God the Father is saying of the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. So God is using Old Testament scripture, and he is uh, attributing it to his son, Jesus, saying that this is God, right? Not that God the Father is not God. God God is the Godhead. We, we've, that's not a, um, uh, well, Trinity is not a biblical form. Godhead uh, and Godhood is, is in the Bible. But you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, it's not on your, your, your um, notes here, but in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, somebody might want to check me on that. Uh, but Matthew chapter 3, uh, you got Jesus' baptism there. And at his baptism, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one scene. Jesus being baptized, Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove, lighting on him, and a voice out of the heavens said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Listen to this guy. <laughs> um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in one scene right there. But God calls his son God. He's not, by, by saying that, he's not saying I'm not God. He's just saying Jesus is God. Honor the son like you honor the father. Matthew. Yeah, okay, perfect. Then I was exactly right because that's exactly what I said. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, I'm not often right, so don't take it away from me when I am. <laughs> All right. No, I kind of got a big head. Roxanne was impressed with my math the other night. L like I didn't just memorize it, like I actually calculated it from the podium. <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs> All right. all right, let's keep moving. John 8, 58, the last scripture that's on your sheet there, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, who is the great I am? God. And who did Jesus say he was? God. He said, I am, I am. He said, I am, right? So, um, there's a lot you could cover on who Jesus is, right? Um, these are some of the scriptures, but we do know we have to have an understanding to be saved. Uh, and, and with that being said, to ever get to the point of a, a meaningful baptism, meaning an effective baptism, one that is actually going to uh, put you into Christ, forgive your sins, you've got to have an understanding because otherwise Jesus says you'll die in your sins if you don't believe 
that I am he, he said. So we have to have an understanding of who Jesus is. And then what he's done and why. This is going to cover a lot of ground here. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.5, uh, there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So who's this mediator? Okay, so this kind of covers who Jesus is, but it also covers um, what he's done. And why, okay? Um, in, in this sense, it's, uh, it's more of the uh, what he's done and less of the why, but it begs the question of why, and we'll get right there in just a second. But what's a mediator? A go-between. Yeah, a mediator is a go-between here, and we needed this go-between. Jesus has become our go-between. Jesus is a mediator. Now, uh, keep going on in the scriptures and look at why. Isaiah 59 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, why do we need a mediator? After you, re after you read that. Because we've been separated from God. And how do we do that? Through our sin, right? Our iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, when somebody doesn't want to listen to you, you need a mediator. When someone won't or can't listen to you, you need a mediator, okay? Um, you know how this works and you know uh, situations where a mediator is needed. Um, and when you're separated, when there's a separation, you need that go-between. Jesus has become that for us. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So now we're getting into some of the how Jesus became our mediator. There's ways that he mediates now through, through prayer and intercession in that way. Uh, but but we're, we're back, we're still foundational level, remember? We're not talking about someone who is a Christian. We're talking about someone who can become, someone who is learning what needs to be known, getting that foundational understanding. So we're talking about what Jesus did, right? Uh, what he did and why. So for him to fix that gulf, that chasm, that separation that was um, made between us and God through our sin, we need to talk about the gospel because Jesus is, is the, the, the chief character in the gospel, if you want to put it that way. In that story, Jesus is the, the star player, right? He's the MVP. He's the one who's center stage in that particular uh, situation. The good news revolves all around Jesus, and it's part of how he, part of explaining how he's our mediator is what he did through the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to look around all over the place and, and piece different parts of the, the puzzle together. Instead, the Bible tells us. The Bible just comes right out, explains itself. So this power of God for salvation, I've been separated. God is a mediator. Jesus is a, a mediator. How do I uh, access this, um, this mediation? What is it that Jesus has done for me? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. The gospel was that power for salvation to everyone who believes, right? So I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, he says, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says in verse three, for I delivered to you. So here's what he delivered, that gospel he was talking about. For I delivered, or he could say what I delivered to you as of first importance was this. He says, it's what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So that's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't 
Forget that. The gospel is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. Gotta have that basic information in the knowledge bank. Get that in there. Now, why? We probably need to cover a little bit of this with somebody. Why did Jesus have to experience this death, burial, and resurrection? Because eventually it's going to come up. If they don't get it on the front end, they're going to they're gonna need to know about this. They're going to need to have some understanding uh, of why was this sacrifice needed? Why were these different uh, pieces of this story, this event, why did they have to take place? How were they effective? And, and so on, right? Uh, you don't just want to be like, yeah, that's what he did for me. And then somebody just, you know, lets the air out of their faith and says, Why? And they go, well, because that's what he did? Like, we need to have some knowledge, okay? So a couple basic scriptures you can, you can take somebody to and, and that tell us tonight about it. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. So redemption is a, is a buying back, a, a, a paying a, a ransom of sorts, that sort of thing. Redemption through his blood. So his blood was the price that needed to be paid. And the Bible says um, that, that the, the payment for sin, uh, or how does it say it? Without the shedding of blood, um, there is no atonement for sin. Something to that effect, right? Um, we see it, uh, where is it? Genesis and Hebrews? It, it, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, in, in different terms. Uh, I'm talking about the blood, the specific blood reference, though. Um, but, but yeah, the, the price of our, our sin is his blood, Jesus' blood. Uh, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So his blood, uh, what did it buy? It didn't just buy us back, but it paid the price for our sins, right? The forgiveness of our trespasses makes possible forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. So that death had to happen because his blood had to pay the price. So if the price that, that was going to take away our sin was blood, that's kind of hard to pay with the blood without a death, right? There has to be a death here, and it needed to be the death of God in the flesh. Are you talking about Hebrews 9.22? Well, I know it's in Hebrews somewhere as well. It's a couple places. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There it is. I, I hate when things are like... Yeah, I know. As, as that rolled off, I'm like, I don't think atonement is... The word is there. Thank you. Hebrews 9.12. What'd you say? Hebrews 9.22. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, so that's another one that honestly you could throw in here that, that would, would uh, also kind of add to, to what's being discussed here. And then look at Jude uh, verse 24. Uh, there are not chapter divisions in Jude. So just Jude 24 says, now to him who is able, what's he able to do? Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and, listen to this, to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. That's something that Jesus' blood, that Jesus' death made possible. And then look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. It says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. So notice we've shifted. There, there's two things that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection made possible. The, the death took care of uh, what we might call our sin problem. Right? We got two problems. Sin problem and a, a grave problem. A sin problem and a, and a death problem. Right? We need our sins forgiven so that we can stand before him blameless. Right? It says in Jude 24, he can make us stand in his presence uh, blameless. And it also says that in his blood we have redemption. Uh, so 
That's the sin side of it. Now we've shifted into the, the grave side of it, right? We need eternal life. We don't want the grave to be the end. So uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 says that Christ was raised from the dead. So that resurrection had to happen because uh, since by a man came death, so, so Adam, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, okay? Now we all, uh, when we sin, that, that death, that penalty is in the world, okay? Now, we're not guilty of Adam's sin, but Adam brought sin into the world, brought death into the world through sin, I should say. Brought death into the world through sin. Now we experience that same uh, death. We're subject to this world, this earth that's been uh, cursed, but when we sin, we're guilty for our own sin. Okay, Jesus took care of that with his blood. Now, in the same way that Adam brought death into uh, the world, Jesus brings eternal life into uh, the world for us, makes that possible. It says, for as in Adam all die, so just like Adam died, uh, so we also will experience physical death. It says, so also in Christ. Okay, so we're all in Adam in a way because we're all humans subject to death and decay in this world that has been cursed. But if we aren't just in Adam, but we get into Christ, we'll be made alive. We'll receive uh, spiritual life. We'll, re we'll receive eternal life when we die or when the Lord comes back, right? Um, or when we die and the Lord comes back, right? All right, so Jesus made resurrection for us possible. 2 Timothy 1.10 says uh, that um, it says, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who, so Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He took death out of the equation. Uh, we, still, we still, you know, don't get excited about the prospect of it, you know, uh, but as Christians, we don't need to fear it. He's abolished it as a power. If we're in Christ, we do not have to fear death. We do not have to fear death. He abolished death in that way, and he brought Life and immortality. He made that possible. And it says, through the gospel. Okay, so why did Jesus have to die, be buried, and risen again? The death, burial, and resurrection is what? The gospel. It says, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection was, was required for that to be possible. Romans 5.10 says it like this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Okay, that was the first part we talked about. Uh, reconciled. We were separated. He became our mediator through the gospel. Through his death, uh, we were reconciled. That was our sin side of things. He took care of that. Much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. What did his life do for us? Made eternal life possible for us. His, his resurrection is what that's referring to when it's speaking of his life there, okay? So that, that covers uh, in, a, in a, a little more than a nutshell, I guess. It's not super thorough, but it, it covers a lot what he's done and why. Now look at how to get in on it. So when you understand that sin has separated us from God, that Jesus stepped in, died for our sins, was buried, and, and rose again. And that, that, that death was the price that the, his blood needed to pay the price for our sin. And so he died so that that price could be paid. And he rose again, just like he said he would, according to the scriptures, uh, the Bible says, right? He rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. That life makes, makes resurrection possible. Once a person understands that, God, or that Jesus is God's uh, son, he's the son of the living God. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again. And that makes eternal life possible, forgiveness of sin possible. We need to talk about how to get 
get in on it, right? You've covered the bad news. You've covered the good news. Now we need to talk about how to get in on it. So Romans 10, 9 uh, says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So um, what if we don't? Will we, can we be saved? No, so a person cannot, so, so just understand it's a conditional statement. That's the only reason I asked the, the silly question is so that we understand this is kind of one of these life and death things, spiritual life and death. If something says do this, and you've heard me say this before, something says do this in the Bible and you will be saved, don't do that and you won't be saved. Okay, so we need to understand you're not going to get away with not confessing Jesus as Lord with your mouth. So when people say, you know, well, I, I, I do it more kind of quietly in the background, just, just through living my life like, like, a, like a Christian, just living a good moral life. Well, the Bible says that if you confess him with your mouth as Lord, you'll be saved. So salvation is dependent upon you speaking up for Jesus. And then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay, so here we have a, a foundational truth uh, that we covered earlier that Jesus rose from the dead, but now we're being uh, told that you can't be saved without believing that. So you can't just know it. You, you, like like you, you've heard it, you've heard that fact, you're familiar with it, you gotta believe that, okay? But let's back up uh, just one more time. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. There's a lot of people who treat this as a, uh, like a, uh, just kind of like a, a magical incan incantation, like a, um, almost like a, uh, you know, abracadabra kind of thing. Like if you say that before you do something, it'll happen. You know, you ever seen magicians, you know, abracadabra, blah, 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 roses are red, violets are blue, and the flower pops out of his sleeve or something, right? Um, That's the silliness, okay? Just saying the words, you know, Jesus is my Lord, you know, let me hold, you, come up here and let me hold your hand. And you repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. All right. Praise the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about uh, in his word. That's what Paul wrote down here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he's talking about, right? Is it, is it, does it work if you just repeat after a preacher? No. So, so let's talk about, let's get down to the nitty gritty a little bit and talk about what this is saying. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. When, some, when you find out somebody who's been fighting the law for a while and they finally confess, what do you believe they've now done? When they confess, what, what, did, they, what did they tell? The truth, right? They finally told the truth. Confession is telling the truth. So when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you're telling the truth that Jesus is Lord. Now what's Lord master, boss, supervisor, everything to you. He's, he's the play caller in your life. You go to him for, for all your guidance. That's who, who, who calls the shots, right? He's head of the church. We're members of the body. What do members do uh, in relationship to the head? Whatever the head tells them, right? And, and body parts that do something other than what the head is telling them to do it is a real medical issue, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's a real serious problem when, when the body won't do what the, what the mind is telling it to. And so we need to treat Jesus as Lord. It needs to be the truth in our life that he is our Lord. This is not a, a recite these magic words kind of statement. Confess, tell the truth, with your mouth, speak up, don't be ashamed. 
that Jesus is Lord. Confess him as Lord. That has to be the truth or you can't confess it. It's just, it's just saying words if you just say it and think that's going to save you. But there are, there are um, I don't know how many denominations that will tell you Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 9, and the whole congregation gets in a, a, a fury. Romans 10, 9, I mean, this is how you get saved. Just confess it. Just come up here and say it. Raise your hand. We'll all close our eyes. You raise your hand if you want to be saved. And just confess them right now in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. It says with your mouth. You know, they just miss the whole boat, don't they? He's got to actually be Lord or you can't confess it. It's not telling the truth. It's actually the opposite. It's telling a lie, okay? And we have to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Uh, moving on. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it talks about, um, don't deceive yourselves. It says, fornicators, idolaters, uh, adulterers, effeminate homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, all these people, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And there's multiple other passages there that talk about um, sins and sinfulness and certain situations that are um, going to keep you out of heaven if you don't repent of them. And that's, what this, that's where we're going with this. We have to believe Jesus is our, well, Jesus has to be our Lord. We have to confess that. We need to believe that God raised him up from the dead, but there's more. We also have to repent. We can't keep living. We can't live these lifestyles. We can't live this way, okay? Luke 13, 3, and same words exactly in Luke uh, 13, 5. And I apologize on your sheet. This should be in, in red if I keep with my theme of doing blue for um, regular Bible text and red for Jesus. Uh, I, I missed this one and made it the wrong color. <laughs> Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Now what's Jesus saying no about? I tell you no. These people brought up uh, in a couple instances, well, he, they brought up one story and they said, did you hear about that tower that fell on all these people in, in Siloam? And He's like, okay, are you bringing this up? Jesus seems to kind of stop them, you know, cut them off and say, are you telling me this because you think they're so much worse sinners than you? And that the reason this tragedy struck them is because of that. Because, because they're such bad people. Like, you know, and, and people do that, right? Sometimes they just bring up something bad almost to make themselves feel better. You know, hey, hey, did you hear about what happened to those people? Yeah, well, you know, they probably had it coming because, you know, Jesus kind of cuts it off and says, you know, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he brings up another story and he says the same thing in verse five. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to um, uh, shun certain things that they're doing right now and, and turn and start focusing on that new life in Christ. Pursuing righteousness, being um, ever sanctified, being set apart more and more uh, holy, um, we could say H-O-L-Y in this instance, or W-H-O-L-L-Y, more holy to his service, more completely to his service, being, being even more and more out of the world in, in the sense of how we behave, okay, we still live in the world, but out of the world in our, our mindset and where our heart is, and more on board with just serving the Lord having every thought that goes through our mind and every, every desire that we have and, and every, every future plan that we're making be one that's going to glorify God. That's our, that's our desire. That, re, that kind of repentance has to happen. That's, that's what God is ask, or calling for, commanding. Then look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 as we're continuing to talk about uh, how to get in on it. 
So Jesus has got to be Lord. We've got to be willing to confess that, but it's got to be the truth. We've got to uh, believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, that God did that. We have to repent. We can't keep living sinful lifestyles. And 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 7 through 9 says that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution, that's punishment, to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So, do you know God? That's great. That's good. But have you obeyed the gospel? Because it says uh, that's connected here. You've got to know God and those who do not obey the gospel. We have to obey that gospel. Okay, well, how can a person know how to obey the gospel is the question that's asked here. Well, let's start first with what are we, what are we dealing with? Okay, how to obey the gospel. Okay, the gospel, we can define that. We know what the gospel is, right? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. We saw that, we talked about Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose on the third day. Well, look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 6, and tell me if this doesn't sound like maybe a, a way to obey the gospel. Something you would do in response to the gospel. Because what is obe obedience? It's a response, right? If I tell you to do something, I can judge your obedience or disobedience on whether you do it, whether you respond and how you respond to what I said, okay? So when we're told in the Bible to obey the gospel, that we need to obey it, we know what the gospel is. Now, how do I respond to the gospel? We've already talked about some things, believing it, okay? Uh, confessing Jesus as Lord because of it. Uh, uh, all, that, all that's already been covered. Now look at Romans 6 verses 3 and 6 and tell me if this might not be uh, a part of obeying the gospel. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, did you see yet his death there? Baptized into his death. That's the first part of the gospel, the death. And then we've been buried with him through baptism. That's the second part of the gospel. Christ was buried. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, that resurrection on the third day, that's the third part of the gospel. So that uh, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I, I want to I point out something real quick here. Um, it says, verse 5, For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Sometimes we say uh, the word certainly, and we don't mean it that it's a sure thing. We mean it like, Golly, I would think that more than likely that would work, right? We say, uh, certainly they're not going to build that with a parking lot too small for all the people that are going to be inside, right? We don't mean we know that they will not do that, right? We mean certainly they won't do that, right? Surely we would say, surely they won't do that. The Bible doesn't mean it that way. The Bible means it's a certain fact. And so if you want certainty... Right? We started with 1 John 5, 13 that says these things have been written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you want certainty, look at that. If we become united with him in, in, the, in the waters of baptism right here, if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, it's a sure fact, 
we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, raised up, walking in that newness of life that, that is a repentant lifestyle, that is a forgiven uh, life, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to sin. Now, let's go back to where uh, we started with this little uh, scripture. The death, burial, and resurrection are all in that. We've been called, we've been told that we're going we're gonna to suffer eternal destruction. Retribution, uh, when Jesus returns with his angels in flaming fire, if we don't obey the gospel, if we don't know God and obey the gospel, this is our response. The gospel, right here, this is our response, and it needs to be a response. Okay, we've kind of covered that already in these uh, few sessions that we've had on this Age of Accountability study, that the gospel needs to be uh, the reason that we're immersed into Christ. Not because somebody else is doing it, not because we're of a certain age, not to honor somebody's legacy or anything like that. It needs to be our own individual response to the gospel. Uh, we see it in the fact that we've been told to obey the gospel, and then we've been shown a scripture, uh, a passage of scripture that shows us participating in the gospel. Now look at an example of it in Acts chapter 2 verse 37 through 38. After hearing Peter preach this first gospel sermon after uh, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus here on the day of Pentecost, it says when they heard this, when they heard this, it says they were pierced to the heart. That's conviction right there. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now do you remember where that sermon had just left off? He had been talking about the fact that God had uh, certainly attributed through the miracles, the signs, the wonders, uh, that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And what did he say? Whom you crucified uh, by the hands of the Romans. But, but it, the blood is on your hands. And they said, they were pierced to the heart. And they said, what must we do? Or what shall we do? How do we respond to this? Right? What shall we do? We, we've heard it. It's convicted us. It's pierced us to the heart. Stop right there. What shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, okay, not for some other reason. Be repentant, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you think they were concerned about their sins? They just hung the Messiah on the cross? Peter said there, that blood was on their hands and they, they were putting the pieces of the puzzle together and they said, oh yeah, that time that he did this, that sign, that time they did that, that wonder, the time that he raised that person from the dead, that miracle. They put it all together. This is God's Messiah. We did just have him nailed to a cross. We were involved in that. That blood is on our hands. They were concerned about their sins. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That'll wash the slate clean and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then look at Galatians 3, verse 26 and 20, 27. <coughs> I'm almost choked on my own air. <laughs> Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we become sons or daughters of God, children of God, truly. Uh, not how the world says, well, we're all God's children. You know, uh, Elvis Presley sings uh, one of these Christmas songs. Sorry, I look at Mackenzie. Uh, that was awkward, I'm sure, for her. She's 16. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm making it better, right? Um, it, it, Santa knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. And I just want to go, no, it's not right. 
I just want to scream at the radio or the record player or whatever. Every time I hear that, that's, that's the most cringeworthy lyric I've ever heard. Santa Claus knows we're all God's children. I've almost broken music playing devices over it because it came across the radio. I like Christmas music now. I didn't used to be that way. Okay, I change. I'll never like cats, but I have changed on Christmas music. Um, but that lyric, we're not all God's children. God created every one of us. We all have redeemable value, uh, redeemable by the payment of his blood shed on the cross, uh, made uh, applicable in our lives when we obey the gospel. But look, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that faith look like? Well, we see it in the next verse. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for, okay, so here's, here's how that happened. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, Jesus, uh, into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So that was your faith in action. You, you became sons and daughters through faith in the sense or, or through the method of this baptism into Christ. So, so saying I have faith without doing what God says to do is not faith. James, I believe, calls that um, useless. He says that that's dead faith. Faith without works is dead, being by itself. <laughs> uh, I think James uh, should have done a, if they had that in their language, they should have done a, a quote-unquote kind of sort of thing uh, because he's using the term faith in, in a way that, you know, hey, people who talk about what is really um, dead and useless call it faith, and he's like, that, that faith is useless. It's dead, being by itself, not accompanied by works. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says, we become sons through faith in Christ for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, we can tell them who Jesus is, what he's done and why, how to get in on it, but we got to, we've got to do them the service of covering what it will cost, okay? We can do this real quick, guys. Uh, John 15, 20 Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You gotta expect it. Because we always ask the rhetorical question, did they crucify, or did they, yeah, they did. Did they persecute him? Yup. So will they persecute you? Yup. Be ready for it. Expect it. Um, Live at peace with all men so far as it depends on you, Paul says in Romans, uh, but don't expect to avoid it. Like, don't try to avoid persecution because you'll avoid faithfulness in that, okay? Uh, Luke 14, 26 and 28, uh, but I really, um, you go all the way to like uh, verse 33 with this, I think, but Luke 14, uh, 26 through 28 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own, here's another one that I should have made red text. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple or my follower, or my learner. Uh, whoever does not carry his own cross, that's an instrument of death, by the way. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So there's more that goes on after this that's involved in calculating the, the cost that, that could be covered. But, but here's the basic where uh, the rubber hits the road. You're going to build something physical. You don't just start, you know, we're not children, you know, we don't know how many Legos we have, but we're going to, in our mind, we're going to build this giant tower, and then, you know, what are you building there, buddy? Well, it was going to be, you know, it was going to be this or that, this wild thing in their imagination, they didn't have enough Lego bricks. We're not children. 
We count the cost. We figure out whether we've got enough in the bank to write that check, uh, whether we've got enough uh, space on our lot, on our lot of land to be able to build this thing, right? What about when someone's going to become a Christian? Going to totally sell out, make their whole life uh, a life for Christ and to shine others, to shine that light uh, on Christ, making a spotlight on Him so that they will, uh, they'll, they'll go to Him. They'll see us and, and our life will redirect to Jesus. Everything we do, everything we say, shouldn't we consider whether or not uh, we're willing to do all that it takes? Shouldn't we go over that with somebody so that we don't get them all jazzed up and all excited and, and make it something that it's not? Because it's the best life a person can possibly live. Only one that's truly meaningful, truly, completely satisfying, that you can lay down your head at night. And even when it's been a horrible day because of your faith in Jesus, you've been persecuted because of it. Someone has spit in your face, kicked you in the shins, whatever the case may be, you still can be satisfied when you lay your head down on the pillow because you know that you are living the right way and the right life. But... The reason our church culture has become what it has, and I'm not talking about liberty, I mean religious world kind of stuff here in this day and age, is because we've, we've kind of done the bait and switch thing to some degree, uh, except we haven't done real good at even doing the switch part. We bait them in with something, and then we're like, well, we got to keep acting like it's about that because that's what we told them it was. Right? Even car salesmen, at least, finally will, will change it. Or, you know, pyramid scheme people will eventually reveal, well, actually, you know, I get all the money if you don't, you know, do this and this. this. We don't reveal it. We've got to reveal it up front. We've got to say up front, hey, it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's the only truly satisfying, all that peaceful, you, know, you name it. You've got to share that, but you've got to tell them it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some, some major confrontations you're going to face. There's going to be some, some things you're going to give up that are going to be very, very important to you. But you're going, to, you're going to put your faith into practice and prove they're not as important as Jesus. They're not as important as my relationship and the potential for other people to come to Christ through me. Their relationship with Christ. That's what's most important. His kingdom. His righteousness. Man, you've got to count the cost. Encourage them to count the cost. Uh, because you... Uh, it's a big deal if you start the walk and then you drop out of the race. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Peter writes, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. That's the answer to the question. Well, is it a big deal if somebody starts the walk and then falls away? Then you can just start reading verse 20. Well, if after they've escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And you just go on, there's your answer. It's a big deal because it makes it harder to come back. Um, if we had continued reading that Luke 14 passage and had gone on down, uh, I don't know which verse it comes up in, but I know that line of thought goes all the way, I think, to verse 33 there uh, with Jesus. But if we had, had continued on, he talks about uh, after the uh, calculating the cost, enough to complete it. It's probably the next verse, I guess. He says, uh, people, if, if you don't count the cost, people will look at you and, and mock you, laugh at you, and say, look, he was not able to finish what he started. He's not able to complete what he started. It becomes harder right here, right now, if you start it and you fall away. Circumstances become more difficult because of that. 
But then there's also, I, I believe, I, I don't know how to quantify it, but I believe that there is a, a spiritual uh, issue that is created here by you starting it saying, God, I'm all yours, and then saying, wait, never mind, I'm the world's again. I, I, again, I can't quantify it, but I believe there is uh, enough uh, scripture that, that points us in that direction that it's not just in the here and now, but it, there's also a, a spiritual uh, concern here that definitely needs to be taken into account. So, back to who can be baptized? What must a person know to be baptized? And we said, well, really, who can be saved? What must a person know to be saved? Uh, Acts 22, verse 16, after we've talked about all this, who Jesus is, what he's done, why he's done it, how to get in on it, counting the cost. Um, this is a quote from Ananias, actually, talking to uh, Saul, saying, now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Because once a person knows these things, there's nothing to wait for now once you know this, believe these things, and you are subscribed to, to all of this, then you know what you need to know. It's time. Be immersed. Get into Christ right now. Uh, don't wait another second. Why do you delay, he says. Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. That is how you call on the name of Jesus, is through uh, a faithful response to the gospel, uh, being immersed into Christ. So when people say, oh, look, it says call on his name. Well, it says be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name, appealing to his authority, appealing to him for a, a good conscience like we talked about previously, right? And so uh, if there's anybody here tonight who has now learned thoroughly about the gospel, how to get in on it, uh, how to count the cost, all that, and it, it needs to make that decision, uh, I'll baptize you tonight. <laughs> but um, if you need to study through these things, you need to talk through these things, uh, get some questions answered, um, we can certainly do that, and I think that's a wise idea. Uh, everybody else in the room, the idea, and it may be everybody in the room, the, the idea is put this in your knowledge bank and be ready to share this with people. Uh, like we've said before, don't just because somebody says, you know, hey, I want to be baptized. Don't say, well, praise the Lord. Uh, we got towels in the back. Let's ask some questions. Let's do them the service so that they don't jump in these waters and see a whole mess of people, whether it be a young person, an old person, or somewhere in between, that they don't jump in these waters and see a whole group of people saying, woohoo, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Now I belong to Jesus. Go through all that song and dance, almost literally, right? And they believe they are saved. They believe they have done what they need to do and they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what he's done and why. They don't, they don't really know how to get in on it. They thought that was it. That that was everything. And they definitely didn't count the cost. It rarely happens these days. Let's do them the service of sharing some information with them. Asking a few, few questions from, from a good heart, from a good place. Not questioning, well, I've seen you in public I don't know. No, no, not that. Just, hey, praise the Lord that you're thinking about spiritual things. Um, let me ask a few questions. Let's, let's talk about this. You know, what makes you want to be baptized, you know? And just start there and just see what's known. You're just fact-finding. And then make sure you share with them at least these four foundational facts that we talked about. Uh, who Jesus is, what he's done and why, how to get in on it, and help them count the cost, help them think about these things, okay? Okay. <laughs>